Well, greetings, everyone. Uh, welcome to a very special edition of the Daily Rhythms podcast. I'm your host, as always, Vic Hunter. And what you're about to hear is an interview that I did with my good friend, Melinda Lopez, back in November of 2021, uh, in which she shares a heartwarming story of how God healed her young son through not only her own prayers, but the prayers of her family and her community. When we first aired this episode, it was one of the most uh, listened to episodes that we've ever done on this show, and it continues to be so. So I hope that whether you're listening to it for the first time or the second time or the third time, uh, your heart is warmed by this story. Now, this uh, episode was recorded live, so you may hear a little uh, background noise, maybe some kids in the background. Uh, We did have some audio difficulties, but I pray that you will really lean into this story. And now, my interview with Melinda Lopez on this edition of Daily Rhythms. Greetings, everyone. We are on location, as they say. Uh, We are here at the Austin Stone Community Church, and with me this morning is my good friend, Melinda. Melinda, welcome to Daily Rhythms. Hi, good morning. Happy to be here. And I uh, forgot to give you her last name, Melinda Lopez. That's, that's her last name. <laughs> uh, yes. And so I um, want, uh, want to begin uh, by praying. So if you'll pray with me at this time. Father, thank you so much for uh, this time that we have together. Um, Melinda and myself, Lord, pray that you would guide our conversation. Pray that your Holy Spirit... Uh, would cover us this morning uh, in anything uh, that we discuss. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about uh, my good friend. Uh, Melinda is a wife and mother of three kids. Uh, she lives and works uh, in the Austin area. Her husband is from El Paso. And Melinda uh, originally, is originally from North Carolina. Uh, She moved here for her medical residency. Uh, She is an OBGYN and head of the Department of Reproductive Health uh, at People's Community Clinic, a public health clinic uh, where she sees primarily a socially marginalized patient population. Uh, She works on a local and national level to advocate for survivors of human trafficking. Uh, She is a believer and has been here at the Austin Stone uh, for approximately 10 years. So again, welcome, Melinda. And um, yeah, it's good good to have you here. And I I wanna begin by just asking you a question um, before we get into your story. What do you think is and community? Oh, that's a great, great question. And there's so many layers to the answer. There is something more powerful about praying in community and praying with other people. You can, you can feel it. You can feel it in the air. You can feel it in the atmosphere when you're together. Um, I, I think that 
you know, there's, there's a scripture that when um, two or more are gathered in his name, Christ is with us. You feel that you feel when um, you're, you're sharing each other's devotion. Your faith seems to grow together as multiple people are involved. Um, also, I think just on a, on a human practical level, when people understand the stressors that you're going through, the challenges you're facing in life, and they're praying for you, they're also taking it usually to another layer and, and thinking about how they can meet those physical needs, um, such as providing for food or shelter or um, safety concerns and thinking beyond um, the spiritual needs, but how they can meet other needs in your life as well. Hmm. And you mentioned the sharing aspect of this. Uh, there is a favorite song of mine called Sweet Fellowship. Uh, and there are a couple of lines in there that says, I'm a, I'm a music person, by the way, so everything relates to a song. Uh, but there are a couple of lines in there that talk about sharing each other's hearts and sharing each other's lives. Um, and so I think that we see a lot of that um, as we pray with, with one another. So you got to experience that. Oh, well, first of all, let me tell everybody, uh, Melinda and I first met uh, when she joined our small group, which we call here our Missional Community um, at the Austin Stone. And I think you were just coming off maternity leave. Is that? Yes. Did I have that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Two been two before things got really crazy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I've been trying to join for a while. I had reached out to Matt and Diana for months prior to actually first meeting with you guys, and things just kept getting in the way. And then that yeah. seemed to be the best time. Yeah, yeah. And so we're we're we love her family and glad that they got to join us. Um, so uh, I mentioned your three children, and we're actually here to talk about an experience that God took you through with regard to your youngest child, Eli, and I was going to interview Eli, but he's unavailable for comment. So, <laughs> so he, doesn't, he doesn't have a lot to say. <laughs> definitely be an interesting interview. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and, uh, yes, yes. So take me, take us back to, there was a day, um, last summer, when your son became really ill. Take us back to that time. Tell us what was going on and yeah. what was going on in your heart. Yeah, so currently, I'll, I'll just throw out there, Eli is 18 months and he is doing well. And so I yeah. just wanna put that out there and also maybe as a warning for any of the listeners who might have had prior experiences um, with sick, with truly sick children, this might be a little triggering. So wait, I will be talking about some of the ICU experience that we had. So I just want to put that warning out there. Sure. Um, yeah. it, it can be difficult to listen to, um, depending on what your experiences are. So yeah, this, this happened about five months ago in June, and it was the weekend after Father's Day. And our family was kind of split up for the weekend. My husband had taken our younger two children, our five-year-old, and then Eli, um, who was at the time 13 months, to El Paso for the weekend to visit his family. It was one of the, the I think, the first trip since the pandemic hit that he had been able to visit family there. So 
excited about that. I had to stay home and I couldn't get out of my shift at work. So I was at, um, at home in Austin with our older child. And my mother was also coming into town. So it was kind of a busy weekend. Uh, on Friday, or I guess on Thursday before the weekend, when they first went down there, uh, my husband told me that Eli had been feeling just under the weather is what how, how he described it, kind of fussy and has some low-grade fevers and had been throwing up. And for anybody who's had young children <laughs> and raised them in any capacity, you know that these things happen pretty commonly uh-huh. and diarrhea and all that stuff. And you just kind of focus on rehydration and rest and usually it passes on its own. So that's the first thing that we thought it was. And uh, the second day, and I, I wasn't even worried about it at that point. On the second day, when I called to get the check-in, um, he was still throwing up, not eating as much, kind of lethargic. And so uh, I had, uh, my husband had make the de- made the decision to take him to the urgent care there just to get a second opinion and make sure he was, he was doing okay. And that seemed to go smoothly. And they said it was just a, a GI bug and that we needed to just keep hydrating him and keeping the fevers down. And so I didn't really think anything else about it at that point and was just happy that he was in good hands. My mother-in-law was there, so she was definitely doting on him. And then the next morning was Saturday morning and I woke up and the first thing I did was call my husband to check in again. And he said, something's wrong. Um, then Eli was fussy all night, inconsolable. Mm. Um, he's breathing weird. And up until this point, Eli has been a very healthy child. This was, I mean, he had had runny nose here and there, but no major health concerns. And to say breathing weird was was a little scary. And so I had him switch to a video chat uh, right then so I could see him. And I just laid eyes on him for a few seconds. And I said, you need to get to the hospital. Don't, don't stop. Don't go to the urgent care. Don't, um, don't delay, go straight to the hospital. And what had concerned me is, is, um, I had never seen Eli look like that. I had never seen any of my kids look like that, but he was just kind of panting. He wasn't, it was like that panting that comes after a kid has a really hard cry and they kind of pant, but that's all he was doing is panting. And um, my husband at that point was like, okay, this is serious. When, when my, my physician wife tells me to go directly to the hospital, I'm going to take her seriously. And, and they went directly to the hospital and I, was trying to figure out what was going on from a distance. I got I, I got my stuff together and got in the car at that point to drive to El Paso, which um, is not a short journey, but that was mm, no, it's not. Get there. Yeah, and then the, the way the flights were, that it would have been the best way to just drive. And I was trying to get updates. My husband doesn't have any medical background or not a lot of experience with the healthcare process. And I was trying to get updates about what was going on. And it it just seems to be overwhelming. I heard little bits and pieces of it. He seemed pretty shocked and then couldn't really explain what interventions were happening or what decisions were being made. It was just all happening so fast. But it, it did concern me the 
how quick they attended to him in the ER for, for anybody who's been to the ER, you know, that it can be a long wait to be seen. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you get there and you're seen almost immediately, I, I knew that that was not a good sign. And uh, at some point, um, the time, the timeline kind of started to fade at that point. You, I, I can't remember. It's all kind of a blur about whose voices I heard uh, um, and at what time period. But at some point, I, I heard from the ER doctor, and this was already when I was on the road, um, that he was uh, apparently septic, meeting the criteria for, for sepsis. And they were admitting him. Um, they were starting broad spectrum antibiotics to cover for many potential causes of the infection. They weren't clear where the infection started. Um, and and just going off of that, uh, I, I knew this was a very serious situation. And before I had even received that phone call, when I first actually got, before I got in the car, I texted our small group or our missional community here just asking for prayers for this and that I didn't know all the details but it seemed like something serious was happening and just needed prayers for um, healing and as I was making the drive and speeding there I think I made that trip in about six and a half hours and that's a, a usually a nine hour trip so I was definitely um, speeding, but I, you didn't I, break I, any traffic laws. Maybe just a few, but uh, actually, that was I the last hour and a half when I was really speeding the whole way, I, mm-hmm. but very focused speeding. Um, there was a police officer riding kind of the whole way and I have my story all ready to go like <laughs> my kids in the ICU and I was just ready to tell him and he never pulled me over I mean there was like nobody else on that stretch of the interstate I I don't know how to explain that but um anyway when when I was driving there and lots of people I was reaching out to relatives I was reaching out to friends um letting people know what was going on and asking for prayers uh your mind just starts going in all these different directions. And as somebody in healthcare, you you can easily start driving yourself crazy with, with all the different ways that this could play out. Mm. And I, and I had, I was kind of searching for ways to ground myself and to really just open up for what God wanted, how God wanted our family to get through this. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just with the, through a healthcare lens. It was really uh, a faith journey. And I was playing um, a sermon um, from the stone. It was, it happened, it was, it was a sermon from way back, but I just kind of randomly pushed something to listen to. And at one point during the sermon, um, it was about, having faith in situations that just seem so wrong, that Mm. just seem so tragic. And there is one point in in the sermon where the speaker mentioned, um, we all long for a time when there will not be a pediatric pediatric ICU, when there will be nobody to fill it. 
Mm. And I remember just kind of losing it at that point and, you know, crying for quite a while about just knowing what that meant and, and identifying with that feeling so strongly. But um, while we long for that time, we're here and we're called to walk through these situations with faith and, and with each other. And so knowing that it wasn't a place of desperation that I was coming from. It wasn't a place of um, being overwhelmed. It was more of a place for just making myself open to how God was going to get us through this. Uh And being completely open. You really detach from the mores of the world and what science or healthcare might tell you. And you really are lifted up to another level where, where, where God is absolutely in control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, we might, everybody's getting out, but, um, I think at that point, the prayers were already just starting to pour in during that trip while I was making it to El Paso. I know my my parents were calling their circles of, of friends and, um, and church groups, and my mother-in-law was, and then our small group was contacting people within the church to, to pray for us, people on the prayer team. Um, to lift up Eli's, and there was a, a peace in that. There was a peace in knowing that that message and those prayers were being spread and multiplied, mm-hmm. going to people who I didn't even know, and they were lifting up um, my son, who they had never met, and um, that that was a a great source of strength. And yeah, let me let me just step in here for a minute because. Yeah. You, you not only had people who were providing you with comfort and encouragement, but you had people who were praying, right? I mean, you yeah. had people who, I mean, there, there's only so much that we can do, and we exactly. just take it to a higher power, a higher source, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so that's that. I think that's key. Yeah, and one of the things I learned there, there's not a lot of comfort in that those situations. Oh, so yeah, when people yeah. people I were, was talking to, even my my close friends and family, they weren't comforting me. <laughs> I mean, they were terrified themselves. All you can do is pray, and and I don't say all in a yeah yeah in a way of minimizing it. No, that is what you do. And I remember one of the things that has come out of this experience. Um, Now being on the end of somebody who's received hundreds and hundreds of messages of condolences and, um, you know, just showing support from both believers and non-believers is how much more meaningful it was to hear from believers telling me that they were praying for me. I mean, Uh I've been on the other side of this many times where I've said, I'm praying for you and I didn't want to feel like that was all I was doing. I didn't, I, I, although I I would feel like that sometimes when I told people like, I'm sorry, I can't do more. I'll be praying. But on, on this side of things, that is a very powerful thing to hear. And Mm. it, it uh, compared to 
non-believers who are very kind, very loving, very well-intentioned, but had there was no place for prayer in their message. And that just didn't feel, it was like, thank you, but <laughs> that's not where it's at. Yeah, you know, like with, with non-believers, you might hear a message just like, oh, girl, you've got this, right? I mean, you can, you can, you can fight through this, you know, it's all going to be, you know. And well-meaning messages, obviously, but, you know, well, th- not what you really right. need at that time. It, yeah. yeah, and a lot of them actually were not so optimistic. It wasn't a, you've got this. It was, I'm so sorry you're going through this. This is oh, devastating. Gosh, yeah. And a yeah. lot of that was because come, I heard from med school colleagues, friends from med school that I hadn't heard from in almost 10 years. I graduated from med school more than 10 years ago. And I hadn't seen some of those friends or heard from them in years and years. And somehow word got out. And in, to people who have a medical background to, to hear, and even people who don't, honestly, to hear the words septic shock and what Eli ended up being diagnosed with was bacterial meningitis. And to hear that those diagnoses is just so it's like a worst case scenario and so people weren't saying you've got this people were like what our heart goes out to your family how can we help you um like there there wasn't it's gonna be we'll 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 bring food you know (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah 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 people were asking me how can we help you guys yeah yeah yeah. But I, so I made it to El Paso and I, I was getting updates from the ICU team at that point. Eli had been transferred into the ICU and I was getting updates from the intensivist. And it just seems that part really seems surreal because it was almost like out of a, a TV show or something about how things uh, play out in, in a real dramatic way in in Uh medicine everything just seemed to be getting worse and worse he was um decompensating pretty quickly and needed to be intubated and they were suspicious for meningitis i guess pretty early on and had done the lumbar puncture and were waiting for the results and by the time i got there he was already intubated and on the ventilator sedated um, so I didn't have to go through what poor, my poor husband and mother-in-law had to go through, which was watching him being poked and, and watching mm. him scream. And um, that, that can be very traumatizing. Um, for, for me, I, I've been around patients on the ventilator before. It wasn't as sh- shocking. It's, still, it, it's always <laughs> going to be shocking to see your child on the ventilator. Um, but it wasn't as shocking for me as it was for my husband. And I was just so grateful that these amazing um, machines were around, that we have this technology that can keep somebody's heart and lungs functioning yeah. while, they're, while they're fighting off this infection. I was just so grateful mm. for that ventilator. So did you have to kind of step out of yourself? you know, and, and just kind of look at this medically or, I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I would definitely describe those, um, those two weeks in the hospital of me just taking off my, my medical, switching off the medical hat with the mom hat just continually. Yeah. And, um, I, he, he ended up being in the hospital for two weeks. Um, the first week was in the ICU, and then the second week was in the pediatric, just general floor. And he was on the ventilator for a total of four days. Um, they, 
there was a series of just miraculous little pieces that I don't pieces of the story that I don't think I could have recognized as miraculous unless I had the medical background. Um, they were able to identify the source of the infection very early on and were able to give the appropriate antibiotics. And the, the bacteria that he had that, that was causing the meningitis and the sepsis is something that's very, uh, responds very well to a very common antibiotic. So it wasn't one of those very rare bugs that you just don't know how to treat or that you have to mm. look and look and look for. So that was such a blessing. Um, there was uh, an infectious disease doctor there who was uh, a little bit more seasoned than the others. <clears throat> and he had been trained in Eastern Europe. And he yeah. had actually seen this kind of meningitis many, many times before. Whereas all the intensivists and the people on the ICU team who were a little bit younger um, and had started practicing after the vaccines really became mainstream in the 70s and 80s, um, they hadn't seen this kind of meningitis before. So they were, they were not able to offer very much reassurance um, about how this would play out, what the outcomes would be, what Eli's neurological status would be after this. So there was really no encouragement from that side. Now they were able to keep his heart beating. They were able to give him medication to keep his blood pressure in the goal range and keep him oxygenating. They could definitely run the machines, but nobody except for this one uh, specialist was able to really give me an idea of what the clinical course for this kind of meningitis would be. And so I was just so grateful to have that voice there to have this particular doctor at, in, in that place at that time and be able to, he, he was able to tell me early on, he's like, it's going to be a rough three days. It's going to be very intense and be very scary, but your son's going to make it and he's going to do fine. And um, what was it like when you heard that? Uh, I wanted to kiss him. <laughs> I really thought he was like an angel. <laughs> I was like, thank you. You might not realize it, but God is speaking to right now to me, and thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is such a relief to a parent's heart, you know, Yeah, to hear yeah. that. Yeah, that really kept me going at that time because none of these other doctors could say anything like that. It was just in kind of a, every few hours we'd get an update. Well, his blood pressure hasn't fallen anymore. That's good. Or, well, look at the color in his feet is, is, is coming back. Those kind of things, like just commenting on the current situation. Nobody could talk about how, how it was going to look when we got through this or if we would get through it. So I was so grateful for that. Um, he had um, something called haemophilus influenza, which is a, a common vaccination. And he had gotten all his vaccine, or it, it is a bug that we vaccinate against. It's in the set of um, vaccines that newborns get. And he had got all his vaccines. But this was a type of haemophilus influenza that is not included in the vaccine. Okay. And 
so it, it's still it was sent to the state to the health department to try to type it and we're still we still haven't gotten those results and like be a while longer but it's one of those bacteria that's everywhere it's just kind of in the environment so this is really a, a random unexpected thing mm, mm. wow so it, it it seems to me and i'm sure you would agree that god is working throughout this whole process oh absolutely absolutely and there was I can honestly say there was never a point in there where I felt um, terror. I never felt terrified. I never felt like hysterical. I, I felt God. I felt peace and calmness. I felt love. I felt an overwhelming amount of love. Mm. And, and gentleness, yeah. even in the middle of all that. And, and that can only come from God. And I, yeah. I remember thinking just over and over, God, you've given us this beautiful baby boy. And he's just brought us so much joy. And he's such a gift. But we, we didn't put, we didn't knit him together. He, he was a gift from you. You, you have made him. And, um, you know, whatever, whatever comes out yeah. of this is, is for your good. Mm, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and just having that kind of on repeat in my mind and um, knowing that this is, it, it was, it, it was like um, a life at its most uh, distilled most pure form where it's just you and God and everything else is kind of noise and mm, yeah I like the analogy uh, and you recognize it as such yeah yeah and and, and see that's that's why Jesus says come to me all you that labor and are, and are burdened and I will give you rest yeah that is so there, there's so much packed into that one verse but i um one of one of the uh podcasts that i listen to is uh, the bible recap with uh Tara Lee cobble and she kind of you, you know how you like when you're memorizing a verse you kind of like memorize it in parts like she would say come and then come to and then come to me you know, mm -hmm. and uh, there's, there's just so much power in that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and, and I know exactly what you mean. I, I felt that, that call that was come to me, like even though this is all being centered around Eli right now, and this is where all the, the machines are attached. Going, I felt God calling me uh, at that uh, point and wanting uh, to work with me and hold me and that that was what i needed and that was something only he could give yeah do you do and, you recall any any i'm sorry go ahead no 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 do you recall any any specific scriptures that really spoke to you during this time it was actually a, a song, uh, one of the, the praise and worship songs here. 
at the stone called Glorious Grace. So it's not as oh, I love that. It, but it's just love the, uh, a praise song that I had on repeat. Um, and the, the first, the starting lyrics of the song are, God, I need you, I need you, mm. I need you every breath and every pulse of my heart yes and, yes. and if, i'm getting chills even as you're talking <laughs> like that yes yes and what was so salient about those lyrics are anybody who's been in the icu that that every breath and every pulse of your heart is is what it's all about that is mm. what drives the machines the medications the personnel the 24 hour just monitoring is on that pulse of your heart and every breath you take mm-hmm. and and to bring it down to god i need you for those yes, was yes. just so so powerful and then the yeah. very next line is christ have mercy have mercy let mercy mm. abound i need you i need you now and yeah. that combination of going from the, the heights to, you know, every breath, every pulse of my heart, I need you to the depths of when those things are in jeopardy. And then just coming, kind of circling back with him saying, have mercy, have mercy, give, give me more of this life. And, and to apply that to a child to uh, uh, your baby boy is just it's a very (laughs) uh, it's a powerful experience yeah yeah oh my god um but before before we close out here i want to i want to just mention that because we were on this journey with you i mean oh my goodness and just to to hear the updates, although voiceover makes it sound really, you know, <laughs> yeah, he is getting better. Thank you yeah. for praying. The non-emotional, thing. Uh, but I remember getting the updates and just just feeling this circle of prayer. Yeah, you know that was yeah. around you, that was yeah. surrounding you. I mean, did you did you experience that? And yes. what was that like? Oh, definitely. It was like a living organism. It was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, when I first uh, arrived in El Paso, when I first got to the ICU and walked into his room and saw him, up until that point, everything had just been getting worse and worse, and. Yeah. He had just been intubated recently, like an hour before I got there. And when the doctor first took me in and told me the situation, um, I just held his little, I held Eli's little hand. He wrapped his fingers around my finger and I, and I, I rubbed his feet and and she said, oh, that's interesting. Um, His feet have been blue um, as a result of the sepsis and that, that's a sign of poor perfusion, that your blood's not getting to where it needs to go. And when I touched his foot, it started turning pink. And she she thought that was something kind of remarkable. And I know that there was a, a combination. There was antibiotics going on. There was the 
um, the, the blood pressure support, all those medications, but the timing of that just was, uh, you know, that those were, those are prayers. That was the, the power of prayer happening, directing all that, having the medication, having the treatments to do what they're supposed to do. Um, and then from, from that point on, it was an upward journey kind of, uh, some, some days were better than others. And there were definitely points where you, you just step back and you're kind of in awe of sepsis and the devastation it Mm -hmm. does to a body. And you're, it just seems like a, a tornado. You're just in awe of it and how it can destroy all our body systems. It, it attacks your organs. It attacks your blood. It attacks your neurological functioning, all of that. And to just see how that can just wreak such destruction and then you can heal from that is truly incredible to watch Yeah, and yeah. humbling. And so there was a lot of uh, just feeling like there was answered prayers through the power of medicine, through the power of medical training, through technology. There Mm. were answered prayers in that, too. Kind of an intermingling of grace and common grace. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Well, Melinda, uh, you know, even even though I've I've heard the story before, I mean, just hearing it again, you know, just I'm just overwhelmed by the goodness of God, you know, and and just yeah. how He um, cared for you uh, during that time. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing sharing that with us. Um, uh, yeah, I, I have one one other little thing. Yeah, I to work into the story real quick. There was a a beautiful point in this um, when he was extubated, so taking the breathing tube out, and that was mm-hmm. really something we were looking forward to um, because he was really starting to fight the breathing tube, and and that's just hard to watch. And we were looking forward to seeing him become his his old self again and they asked Gabe and I to step out of the room while they pulled it out because it can be hard for people to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we went into the little waiting room there and we, they have beautiful windows. This is in the El Paso children's hospital and the, the views that we had were just, just gorgeous um, of looking across the border into Mexico, into Juarez. And um, they have a, a mountain there. And if anybody's been to the border area, El Paso and Juarez, they know that there's on the Mexico side, um, there's a big message in, on the mountain that's, it's interesting, it's not a scripture, but it says the Bible is truth, read it. And so you're oh, at wow. that. And then- yeah. uh, so we were looking out at that, which is always a beautiful view. But then just at that moment, we, we hadn't seen it before in the day. It went away right after. There was a huge rainbow in the sky. Oh, and, what? And rainbows is don't, that cool or what? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. And rainbows don't happen that often in El Paso. Yeah. And so even my husband, who's an El Paso native, was like, whoa. 
wasn't <laughs> wasn't expecting that and and that was yeah, just such yeah. a, a beautiful a, a, one more beautiful message to us from god that he, and, he loves yeah, us. yeah and remember yeah remember what god said you know um this this rainbow that you see in the sky it's a reminder of my covenant love with you yeah. oh yeah 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 that that's awesome um, well, this is what it's all about, guys. I mean, yeah, we, we can pray our, on our own, and there certainly is power in that. But when you get a group of people together uh, praying for one another and caring for one another, I mean, it's through prayer, and it's, it's, it's a really powerful thing. Um, so, Melinda, would you pray uh, for those people who don't have that, that community of prayer surrounding them? Uh, would you pray for them that they would find that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, great God. Thank you so much for Victor and I being able to talk about this experience now. And thank you for just the beautiful acts of, of love that you showed our family and you showed our community and, and the healing of Eli. And thank you for this beautiful little boy. So being around and growing and, and healthy and just being able to just really enjoy him, Father. Thank you. It is a gift. Um, I want to lift up uh, the listeners right now and anybody who was um, touched by the story or, or uh, you know, have people in their lives who might be experiencing a, a situation like this right now and just that they feel inspired to pray, to um, provide that form of support for these people because it is just so powerful. And, and God, I, I thank you for the power that comes from prayer communities. I thank you for the palpable energy and comfort and strength that comes out of groups of believers praying in your name. I thank you for that, that extra level of superhuman strength that you you give us um i i pray for those people that long to be part of this and join a, a group of believers and a prayer team and um, harness this power and bless those around them with this i pray that you make those connections and continue to um, work miracles as you have with us. Mm-hmm. In your name, Father. Amen. 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 Well, thank you once again, Melinda, uh, for agreeing to be on the show. Uh, we've had some scheduling hiccups. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, you, you and I are here and we're talking and uh, God is, is doing his work. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, please remember, uh, in order to invite others uh, into the conversation, remember to like, follow, and share. And um, also on your your podcast app, uh, if you could write a review or provide a rating, um, that would help. That would help us greatly. Um, Word of mouth is the best form of advertisement, I always say. And so get the word out about the podcast and let's make disciples together. Amen. Uh, God's blessings to you all and have a great day. See you next time. Hey, everyone. This is Angie Edwards, production assistant for the Daily Rhythms podcast. We wanted to give you a brief update on little Eli. 
Earlier this year, the meningitis returned, and he lost hearing in both ears. But the doctors were able to fit him with a cochlear implant, and he's doing great right now. Praise God. Thank you so much for listening, and have a blessed day.